Hey everyone, I'm Jordy, the Bible School and Tech Director here, and welcome or welcome back to Impact Life Church's online experience. After the message, please take a moment to like or subscribe, but most importantly, we hope that this message inspires you to impact this generation for Jesus. Long weekend, we're so glad you're here. And we do just want to extend a welcome. If you're visiting us today, either from in town or out of town, we just want to say thank you. And you know what? You belong here. And if you want to know a little bit more about Impact Life Church, why we even exist, it's to impact generations for Jesus. Our mission here is that the lost would get saved and then that here the saved would get established and then that we as the established, then we would get going. It doesn't mean we want you to leave. It just means that we want to get going into the world take what God has done in our lives and share it with others. And you know what? Every week of the summer, we're inviting someone up to the stage to share a little bit of their journey. And so this morning is Kyla Price. Miss Kyla, where are you? Here she comes. Give her a big hand. Kyla, we're thrilled to invite you up to this stage. I know you've been on an awesome journey with the Lord for years, but you're going to share a little bit about where you're at right now. And we're excited. Is, is, I don't think this is, is this working. Do I have to hold it really close? All right. Okay. So today I'm sharing on my journey for believing for healing. Um, for most of my walk with God, I've had some misguided beliefs about healing and they were really based on life experiences and not on the word of God. Um, we started coming to impact in early 2018, and it wasn't long after coming here that I realized I was here for such a time as this, and that I really had to dig into this area and let God um, reveal his truth to me. Um, I need to say that we, at that point, been in, Julian had been in full-time vocational ministry for 13 years before we came to impact, and um, even as a pastor's wife, uh, I really had struggled to reconcile my life experiences with what I knew the Word of God said about healing. Um, I was humbled and probably even feeling ashamed that I hadn't sorted this area of my walkout with the Lord. And uh, I was really embarrassed about how long it had taken me to dive into this area. So, um, personally, I've had some long-standing issues of pain in my body for about the last five or six years. And at the time of us coming to, uh, well, seeking a home church, um, I was still seeking answers for the cause of that pain. Um, I was really discouraged and frustrated and living in constant pain all the time. Um, I was waiting for a referral to a rheumatologist, but I also knew that any answers the rheumatologist could provide would mean lifelong management of symptoms and not actual healing. I think I had prayed often, but didn't really believe that it would happen. I knew God could do it, but I didn't believe he would. And every time I prayed and it didn't happen, it would reinforce that doubt for me. So in spring of 2018, Pastor Joel was speaking, and part of his sermon was about how sometimes your miracle starts as a seed. And in that moment, I remember feeling hope. I wasn't really sure how it related to my specific situation, but I remember thinking, okay, maybe my healing's not going to come in some obviously supernatural, instantaneous event, but it could still happen. And that was kind of the start of me believing that maybe one day, right? And then, um, so at that point, I felt strongly I needed to invest more time in the Word and spend more time with God. Oh, my mom's calling me. That's awkward. That's awkward. She knows I go to church. I don't know. Maybe I needed a break. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I felt strongly I needed to invest more time when reading the word and with God and that I needed this deep personal revelation for myself. A few months later, I was on my way to my first rheumatology appointment in Calgary and I was praying on the way there. And I remember saying, I don't understand because there's nothing, there's nothing I'd withhold from my kids if they were unwell. Like nothing, nothing 
that I have in my resources what I hold back. I'd never wish for them to be in chronic pain or have chronic health issues. And I was like, I know, God, I know you love me. I know you love me more than I love my kids. Like, so you can't want this for me. So then I was like, well, then it has to be something else, right? If you can do it and you want to do it, then something is standing in the way. So I remember going like, you know, like when Christians are like really spiritual, they go, and if it's me, God, (laughs) fully expecting he'd say no, but he was like, yeah, it's you. And, And I was like, what? That doesn't even make sense. Like no one would benefit from me being healed more than me. Why would I be standing in the way of that? Right? So I said, well, if it's me, then you got to show me how, because this does not make sense to me at all. Um, and he, you know, so over time he showed me that I doubted his desire to heal me and make me well. And ultimately I doubted how much he loves me. And I ultimately doubted how much he wants me to walk in that fullness of being his kid. So, can I have a Kleenex? Because this isn't going to stop. Thanks. <laughs> it's not, I'm not crying. This is nerves. It produces this weird. Okay. This is great. This isn't contagious either. If I'm blotching, don't be worried. Okay. Sorry. I'm going, I'm carrying on now. Um, So in October of 2018, I was diagnosed with an inflammatory arthritis, and I've been given medicine to manage the the symptoms of that. Um, But I still have pain in my body, and it's just a constant reminder that I still don't have that full manifestation of healing yet. Um, Another turning point, I think, for me was a conversation with friends where they were sharing their thoughts on healing And they were thoughts or beliefs that I had shared not very long before that. But I remember thinking, no, that's not true. Like, I remember being like, "Uh uh-uh, right? And uh, in that moment, I realized that something had shifted. And I was no longer okay with believing that healing wouldn't happen for me. So I live... I always say in the constant space between my present physical reality and the absolute truth that I'm healed, I have to replace my thoughts of this hurts with thank you, God, for your work on the cross. And I'm learning to audibly confess what I know is truth instead of wallowing in the physical discomfort. Christine Kane said in a podcast that your thoughts are like trains and they take you places, but you get to decide what train you're going to get on. I may feel pain 50 to 100 times a day, but I choose if I get on the pain train or if I get to think on something that's more truthful and life-giving, like God is my healer. I choose whether I listen to the lies or meditate on the truth. I was recently listening to a sermon by Rich Wilkerson, and he said, the reason your faith is broken is because you need to fix your thoughts. And I felt like I'd been sucker punched. (laughs) In Philippians 4, 6 to 9, it says, Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Follow the example of all that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Yeah. So I'm not there yet. I haven't got this entirely figured out. I'm retraining my thoughts to go to a different place whenever I'm in pain or discomfort and some days are more fruitful than others and some weeks i feel like i've lost an entire week of progress but i have a lot of years of unbelief behind me and i have a lot of old thought patterns or trains of thought and they're not easily undone i don't have the full manifestation of healing that i'm believing for but i do hold on to the truth that he loves me that he's already provided my healing on the cross And that his desire for me is to walk in the fullness of that accomplished work. And I'll contend for the full manifestation of that healing until it happens. 
So as I mentioned before, it's hard to share the struggle that I've had to believe for healing, especially here in this church where there's so much faith for healing. And especially having been in ministry with Jules for so many years. And especially because I'm not actually fully healed yet. But I know that there's someone else out there who's also on a journey and you don't have it all figured out. And I think we do each other a disservice when we don't. When we only share the outcome and not the raw, messy journey that got us there. And I've had thoughts like, won't you look like a fool if you get up there and share this and then you never get healed. But I'm trusting that won't be the case. I know that God is for me. I wish I was further along in this aspect of my faith walk, but I'm thankful other aspects of my walk are more mature and more developed and more stable. And I'm glad I'm moving forward in this area and giving God the time and space to work this out in me. So the day I got saved, the pastor stood on the stage, and out of this huge group, he pointed at me. It was horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. I wish I could have disappeared. But he, he pointed at me, and he said, this is for you. I pray with great faith for you, because I'm fully convinced that the one who began his glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. I cling to that promise, and I'm so thankful that he knew I'd be in process my whole life and that he's faithful to journey with me, and I'm so thankful for his grace to do this work in me and that there isn't shame in the process. No, just one second. So Pastor Joel had uh, initially just asked a couple of people, and he actually had asked me about sharing um, one of the Sundays in, in the summer. And really, I do think God's doing stuff in my life as well, but I've really kind of just journeyed with Kyla and seen how God has been journeying with her through this process. And uh, we don't always understand the process, right? But one thing that I have seen in Kyla in this last little while, in these these years, I guess, is just a, just a depth in her relationship with God. And just as Pastor Joel has been even sharing last week again, what is eternal life? That we would know him, right? That's the most important thing in our journey is that, that we're walking in relationship with God. And uh, so I just wanted to say in front of everybody that I'm just really proud of you for digging deep. And your journey and your walk with God is there's a depth to it. There is, there's just a real beautiful depth to it. And I'm just really proud of you for digging deep and not giving up. And I think that's just so important. It's so easy to just give up and go, it's not going to happen for me. But you have not accepted that. So whether it's your spouse, a friend, your partner, whatever it is, whatever somebody else might be going through, just allow them to journey through it and just encourage them through that process. And uh, I think at the end of the day, we, we're going to see the full healing. And I just believe this was another step in the process today. So thanks, Pastor Joel and Pastor Jamie, for letting us share this morning. And you did great. Thanks so much, man. Man, oh man. Man, that was good. Thank you guys for sharing that. That's, that's powerful. Man, it's so good. Like, none of us have it all together. Does anybody in this room have it all together? I figure this whole thing out. No, we're in the same place. And because you know what the Bible says, the moment you think you know something, 1 Corinthians 8, you actually don't know much at all. So um, I don't know about you, I'm going to be in that place where I don't know much at all. And uh, so Kyle and Julia, thank you for sharing your journey in that, man. It's, you know, a lot of times, kind of like what Kyle is saying is, we, we, what we see from the Word of God, the Word of God is perfect, it's complete. Right? So what you see is the end result. You see God is talking to us from a spiritual perspective, not from a physical or natural or emotional perspective. He's talking to the spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection. So when you see these, the words say, by his stripes, you are healed, it's not trying to get you physically connected. It's trying to get the spiritual truth, which will manifest on the outside. And so that's the whole process, is you're working this thing deep. And that's what we're all in in this together. So I just say kudos for saying that. And on top of it, we stand in agreement with you guys for the complete healing of that body. 
Absolutely. Can we just do that for a moment? Just, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. And, the, and Jesus said this, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. And just kind of what Kyla was encouraging us, us being evil, meaning in the sense natural parents, we want to give good gifts to our kids. How much more does our heavenly Father want to give good things? And part of that healing or part of that salvation package is healing for the physical body. So Father, we just stretch out our hands towards Kyla. Lord, right now, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Your word says that you are watching over it to perform. So we boldly declare as a church family that that body is whole in Jesus' name. From the top of her head to the bottoms of her feet. Father, we thank you. She'll be on this stage proclaiming your goodness and your faithfulness to your word. So we command that sickness, that arthritis in the name of Jesus. You must bow to that name in Jesus' name. Done. Done deal, man. I love that. And I thought you guys might as well just take it. You guys, you've got the preachers on. For those of you who don't know, I'd really encourage you, go and run up to them. They're really great people. Uh, they're, they're awesome. And I'm just, I'm pointing at you again, Kyla. So I just, she's right there. You guys should go talk to them. They, they pastored in Sylvan Lake for, I mean, you guys are all over pastors, really. But I, I met, I, first time I met Julian, he was actually a youth pastor in Sylvan Lake at Gospel Chapel. And then at that time, you guys had transferred over to England. They pastored in England for three years. And then they moved back here about, what is it, two two years ago, roughly two, two and some. So man, it's, it's great. And they got a little bit of an accent on some words. If you ever want to just listen to them real closely, but I encourage you, if you don't know them yet, just bulldoze them over and say, Hey, I want to get to know you. Can we be friends? And then we'll see what happens. If they say no, if they say no, it's not my fault. It's, it's just not the time. All right. <laughs> all right. If you got your Bibles with you, let's go real quickly again to John three sixteen, And I'm going to continue on this Jesus people. This is who we are. And I know I have these verses on the screen, so I know a lot of people don't bring their Bibles to church anymore because you see it on the screen. But I encourage you, if you have your Bible, open it up because you want to see these words. This is your Bible, and this is God speaking directly to you. And uh, before I read John 3, 16, probably the most popular verse in all the Bible, but the, what we're talking about is we wanting to develop a relationship with God. We're wanting to experience, we want to, don't want to just know about him, we want to know who he is. And you know, one of the things that you can actually get caught up in Christianity is kind of the mechanics of Christianity, right? Okay, and I, this is how to pray, this is how to use your faith. And there's nothing wrong with the mechanics unless the mechanics are separated from a relationship with Jesus. Because what I'm finding for myself is, as I'm spending time with the Lord more and more, I'm getting my own mechanics, now, for me to preach my mechanics to you eventually just turns into religion. My mechanics may not work for you, right? God loves us not all the same. He loves us uniquely. I'm his kid. There's no other Joel on this earth. So my relationship with God is completely different from anybody else's relationship with him. Why? Well, it's because God loves you uniquely for who he are, you are. You're unique. You're, God knows exactly what makes you tick. He created you. He knows what you're like. So my relationship with God, when I spend time with him, there's certain things that I learn and I can understand. And sure, I could share some principles with it. There's nothing wrong with it. But again, if we get so caught up in the mechanics, we miss out on actually who he is. And a lot of times you go, okay, I got to do this step. I got to do this step. And then boom, it's going to work. Well, how come it didn't work? And then we get mad and we try to reiterate, try to a different way or push more into the mechanics. Apart from a relationship with Jesus, it will not work. The whole purpose for your salvation is intimacy with him. So as we see John 3.16 here for a sec, it says, For God so loved the world. Oh, I got it from the New Living. That's not what it reads then. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone, say everyone, no matter where you're from, everyone is included in this. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but what? Have eternal life. Now again, what is the purpose of salvation? Is it just to miss hell and I can finally go to heaven when I die? That's a part of it and thank God for it. I mean, aren't you glad, grateful for that? I ain't going there. I'm not going to hell. Why? Because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. There's nothing about religion. I'm not trying to be a good person in order to get there. It's me simply, I personally believe in Jesus Christ. I believe what he did for me. I believe that he died on the cross for me. I believe that he rose again for me. And for that belief system, the Bible says you're saved. Now, thank God for it, but that's not the end of it. John 17, 3, at the very end of Jesus' life, he prayed this prayer, and he right away lays it out, eternal life means, and you've got to read the prayer in, in the context of it, 
But he's praying, he's saying, Father, I'm praying for these disciples, not only the ones that he had, but also for us who would hear the message of the gospel through these mouths of the disciples. Now, so kind of cool to think that at some point, you and I are a product of the disciples going out and boldly proclaiming the truth of Jesus. Think about that. I'm the result of the Apostle Paul going out boldly. Like, aren't you grateful for that? Now, that's why we can be bold too, because there's generations after us that are going to hear the gospel because we continued to carry it through. That's all that we are. We're just a bridge from one generation to the next. And what we're doing is proclaiming it. But Jesus prayed this prayer and he said, this is eternal life. And it means to know and experience you the, as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the one you have sent. This is eternal life. So when does eternal life start? Does it start when you die? No, it starts the moment you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. At that moment, guess what? God wants a relationship with you. And what I got so encouraged when Kyla was sharing too is just not that she's just studying healing. Okay, I'm studying healing. I'm studying healing. No, she's coming in contact with the healer. It's not just, okay, I'm going to read the subject. I'm going to study a subject, study a subject. No, I'm studying. I'm getting to know him for who he actually is. And now I get to know him. I see what he's like. And now it just works wonderfully because it's relationship-based, not mechanics. Okay, I'm going to confess 50 times, Jesus is my healer, Jesus is my healer, Jesus is my healer, Jesus is my healer. Okay, Jesus is my healer. And we get all mechanical and Jesus is like, that's annoying. What do you, what just relationship. I don't go up to my wife and go, I love you. 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 If I say it 10 times, then I'm in. I, maybe I'll get some breakfast. I'll get some bacon or something. If I say it 10 times, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. All of a sudden, 8.30 rolls around. I go, how come there's no breakfast on the table? It didn't work. Well, I got to try 20. Do you see how stupid that is? But we do that. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Heal my body. That's not how that works. I still have not yet gotten my bacon, and I said it ten times. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Bacon. No bacon, no bacon. Okay, well, I'll try again tomorrow. It doesn't work. Now it's going to go, Jamie, could you make me some bacon in the morning, and we'll find out. All right. We'll talk about that later. Now I want you just to see Second Peter chapter 2, or sorry, Second Peter chapter 1. But I love these words. I just think it's so powerful. This is it. If you're looking, what's the greatest thing in Christianity that you could ever talk about? From what I see from the Word of God, it's knowing Him. Yeah. Well, I thought joy and peace and healing and the blessing of God is important. Yeah, that's, that's a part of who He is. You can't separate the blessing of God apart from the blesser. You can't separate peace from the peace giver. This is who He is. And so this is what I find, and I love these verses that Peter writes out for us. He says, may God give you more and more what grace and how as you grow in your knowledge of god and jesus our lord so this just shows me grace and peace other translations say they'll be multiplied unto you so i can actually have grace what is grace the goodness of God, God's unmerited favor, graces. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about that again in this fall. There's a number of different aspects of the grace of God. It's shown in saving grace. It's shown in serving grace. It's shown in, you know, the, the living grace. There's a plethora of different ways. Serving grace. I can grow in grace, meaning I can grow in being strong and living, like Titus talks about living in this perverse and wicked generation, that the grace of God actually teaches me to be holy. So grace is going to teach me how to live set apart from this natural world that's out there. Well, how do I get more and more grace? Through my knowledge of Jesus. If you don't have peace in my life, I just need more peace. It doesn't come from praying, okay, God, give me peace. It, that's not what it is. How does grace get multiplied? And how does peace get multiplied unto you? Through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. It's spending time with Him. When you start to see it, I encourage you, you can even go on Google and just type in peace scriptures and just write them all out and think on them and meditate on them. You're starting to know who he is and peace gets multiplied to you. Then look at the next verse, verse 3. Then he says, by his divine power, sorry, it's cut off there. God has given us everything we need for what? Living a godly life. Thank you. We have received all of this, how? By coming to know him. I love this verse, the one who called us to himself. 
by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. He's already called you to himself. And look what happens. He's already giving you everything you need to living a godly life. And we receive all this. How? By coming to know him. So I don't know about you, but knowing him is the greatest thing that we could ever do. Not just knowing about him. Okay, God does do this or God can do this. No, I want to know him for myself. This was the difference between Moses and the Israelites. Think about it. Moses lived in the palace. He lived in the White House. He had everything given to him. He had all the best teachers, the scholars, all the food, the clothing, the animal. He had it all. I bet you he had a cheetah pet. Man, that's what he walked around just walking his cheetah. He had it, man. And at the same time, this is the same man who said, all that, I don't want any of that. I want him. Why? He had one encounter with a burning bush and it changed everything. Think about that. Just it, it changed him and everybody. Meanwhile, Israel, they saw all of what God could do. And meanwhile, they're whining and complaining because they never pressed in for an experience with him. They never wanted him. They just wanted what he could do. So Psalm 103 verse 8 says that this is what Moses, or this is what the Bible says, that God, he revealed his ways to the children of Israel, or sorry, his acts to the children of Israel, and he showed Moses his ways, why he did what he did. Now, I don't know what you, what category I want to be on. I want to be on, I want to see God, why you do what you do. I'm hungry for this. And I'm finding this on the inside of me. And I've told you this last week, but I've been praying, Lord, not just fire around here. I want it to start inside of me. A lot of times we want to see changes on the outside, but first, God, I want you to change me. I want there to be a living passion for you inside of me, and from that, it'll just spread. Anybody else want to see that? Man, I, I want him. I don't want just about him. I want the man. I want Jesus. We need him. So now, in going further with this, so how do I walk with him? In Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, I want you to see this again. Remember what we talked about last week at all? Yes, what? What did we talk about, y'all? What did we, what did we discuss? We did go to Micah. We talked about Micah. Yeah. But do what is right. We don't cut corners. No cutting corners. But I want you just to see that. Sveti, you should get like a... You give her a Kit Kat? Oh, she got a chocolate bar. Hey, you throwing up chocolate? Man. <laughs> chocolate and bacon. That's all I'm looking for. All right. Micah 6, verse 8. I just, I love these verses. And before you, if you read it in context, this is again was God had a complaint against Israel, which was very common. Whiny bunch of people. Things were going well. Oh, why has this always happened to us? And they would abandon God and then tough times would come and they would turn to God asking forgiveness and God would come back to them. It was just a vicious cycle. Then they would leave again because everything was good and all of a sudden problems would come. They would go and pray to him and ask for forgiveness and it was just a cycle over and over again. And so now this time they're saying, like, God, we'll give you everything we got. We'll even, do you want us to give you our firstborn kids? Like, we'll, we'll give everything we got. And God's response is, no. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good. He says, and this is what he requires of you, that you do what is right, that you love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. The Amplified Bible, I want you just to see it. It says, this is what he's told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, except to be just, and to love and diligently practice kindness. This is what he wants. He wants you to love being kind. Love mercy. This is what he wants. And then he says, and to walk humbly with God, setting aside any overblown um, sense of importance or self-righteousness. But going back to it for a sec, but if you look at it, this is all a response from a godly heart. Now, how many of your heart is a godly heart? Right? You've accepted Jesus as your, your Lord. Your heart is godly. It's towards him. Now, look at, if you look at these verses again, this is what he wants you to do. The first thing that we see is to, if you guys go back to the New Living Translation, it says to do what is right. That's external. To love mercy. That's internal. And it says to walk humbly with your God. That's upward. So you can see this. We don't have one. We don't have three different lives. We have one life. That my, my upward life affects my heart, which affects out here. So he's doing this whole cycle. This is how God intended it for it to be. Upward, inward, outward. And we talked last week the importance of we don't cut corners. And we saw David going up to King Saul right? Cutting corners. And David, all of a sudden, his conscience hurt him. And he said, this is not, I want God's will, God's way. I'm not going to try to force something. I'm not trying to make something happen. What God has for me, I want it, but I want it done his way. So I'm going to do what is right in the process between now and where I am. 
David was anointed as king. If you think about it, David's intriguing to me. David was anointed as king as a young kid, 16, 17 years old. Meanwhile, now he's still feeding sheep. His brothers go to war, and his dad now comes to him and says, hey, can you bring these sandwiches to your brothers? <laughs> dad, I don't think you understand. I'm going to be king. Like, you go do that yourself. Like, I'm El Kingo. David never got this weird head on him. He understood, like, oh, you just think about it. He took all these opportunities, and he went out and he defeated a giant. It's just, it's a certain mindset that comes in. He's going to do what is right. I'm anointed to be king, yet I'm not going to kill, kill Saul in order to get the kingdom. That is not right. Right? And there'll be opportunities. Okay, this is how I can advance in my job, or I can, you know, I can get this money over here, or I can get that girl over there. If it's not done right, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to just say it here again because I see a few young folk here again. But we are not going to cut corners. Before you start naming kids with your boyfriend or girlfriend and saying, oh, I like you a whole lot, and we start going out to Pete's driving for a nice milkshake, we don't cut corners. Man, you can say that to the girl, and that would be attractive. Trust me. She's attracted to me. I say, girl, I don't cut corners. <laughs> you can have all this when you're married, girlfriend. But <laughs> I know, I know. I held it all together. I did a really good job. Uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> I was at Pete's driving. Yeah, that's where I was. Okay. Oh yeah, boyfriend, girlfriend. We, you can say to him before we name any kids, we do not cut corners. We're going to do this God's way. And then I'm so thankful. That was one of the first prayers that Jamie and I ever prayed together was after the first time that I went to see her. She prayed with me after the car and she said, let's just, I want to pray about our relationship. I said, oh, I like that. Oh, man. You know, what gets me going is somebody who likes the word. That is amazing to find somebody who's hungry for God. Yeah. So Jamie just prayed for our relationship. Lord, we want to do this thing right. So if this, if this is what your plan is for us, and I think you just ask for protection over us. And at the same time, Lord, if, show us if this is right. Man, that was the first prayer. And I knew it was right after the prayer. So it took her a little longer to understand. So after that, I just thought, I hear from God quicker and we'll just go with that. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> <laughs> bacon <laughs> okay so now what we want to talk about this morning is i love mercy can we just say that together i love mercy oh man it's a heart this is not something that we just do acts of kindness no this is comes from the heart god is asking that he says i want you to love mercy or to love being kind this is what I want. And I want to just define real quickly what mercy is. Because I'm not going to talk about us this morning. I'm going to talk about God. Because everything we see here, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, all of these characteristics that we see, it's not just something we stir up in ourselves. The Bible clearly tells us we need to see Him. And when we see Him, we, He shows us these things. So to, in order to love mercy, I first need to see Him being merciful and loving mercy. Right? He's our example. Right? Right? Not Samaritan's Purse, not any other kind of cool church, what they got going on. I need to see him showing mercy. And because when I see him doing it, now I can reflect that. So let's talk about mercy. And what is mercy again? And I'm sure you've heard a lot of messages on this, and I had to even watch myself. I, okay, mercy. Oh, yeah, the mercy of God. That's good. But I found myself, as I spent some time with the Lord and just meditating on a lot of these verses I'm going to share with you this morning, it just started to soften my heart. I've received mercy. I've received mercy from God. I am one of His that has received mercy. Everybody say mercy. Mercy. I've received mercy. And mercy, again, the definition for it, or even just from the biblical perspective, so grace and mercy, they're often confused, but they're very different. Mercy is God not punishing us for our sins. Grace is is God blessing us despite the fact that we do not deserve it. Does that make sense? So mercy, again, is deliverance from judgment, even though I deserved it. And you know what? I'm just fine before I... I'm going to jumping into the end of my message here. But you know, some people are just... They're standing, and they're standing believing God. And that's good. Don't, don't let up your faith. That's powerful. But I want to encourage you again. Don't forget about the mercy of God. He's merciful towards you. He's got your back. And mercy this morning, oh, let's just take some time just to talk about it. This is who he is. The mercy of God is one of the most precious realities in this world. And out of all of creation, you and I have the ability to see it. 
Now, when I talk about walking with God, when I talk about getting to know him, we got to know this aspect of him because God is merciful. So I want this morning, I want to just give you and I a little bit of a peek into the heart of God and seeing that he is merciful. Man, I think it's powerful just to hear this. Because, I mean, of all the things, out of all the characteristics that you could think about God, and a lot of times people will be quick to go to the, he's judgment, he's strict, he's, this is what he does. He doesn't allow for any room and error in the sin realm. And, of course, God has, he is just. But before all of that, he actually reveals himself first to be a God who is gracious and who is kind and full of mercy. This is who he is first. So before we go around, and this is why I have such a stink with those people out there, turn or burn, it's garbage. Why? Because that is not even what God himself wants to be shown first. People, they need to be seeing the mercy and the kindness of God. Romans 2, 4, it says that it's the kindness of God that does what? It leads people to repentance. So if you've ever been led to change in any kind of way, other than the kindness or the mercy of God, it's wrong. I'm finding this for myself. There's areas in my life that need to be changed. But am I doing it out of, Joel, you better change that. That's not how the, we're Jesus people. That's not how we do things. I'm in the wrong place. I'm doing it out of the wrong heart. I'm changing for the sake of, oh, I'm not, I'm not matching up. I'm not doing the right things. His mercy needs to be the initiator in it. His kindness needs to be seen first. That causes me to change. Love transforms people. Hate has never transformed anyone. It never will. It'll cause, if, if hate does do any kind of transform, it'll transform foreign study into a really religious outlaw. Just uh, real rough and tough. Grace transform you to be just like him. And that's who our God is. So this is all about, this is who he is. He's God of mercy. <laughs> when God shows his mercy, he does so with utter intentionality and strength. We, his creation, get our deepest glimpse of who he is in his goodness. Not only is he great, he's gentle. Like, think about this for a moment. And I know you may have heard these books for a sec, but I want you to think your God, yes, is he great? Absolutely. Man, we sing about his greatness all the time. But you know what else he is? He's gentle. Say gentle. What does gentle mean? Well, for me, I'm trying to work on my golf game. And... One of the things that, you know, people who else are not very good, they give me instruction. Don't you hate that? <laughs> so here I am lining this, this, you know, lining this whole thing up, and I'm ready to go. And then I'm left, that's what? I'm left-handed. Well, that's the problem. Yeah, I hear that a lot. See, people who think they know a lot, you know, there it is the problem right there. <laughs> Herb, you can correct me anytime you want. So I'm lining up my shot. I'm getting it all right. I'm ready to go. And all of a sudden, hey. Joel, you're holding it too tight. Oh, is, okay. So I'm supposed to be, be gentle. I don't even know how to do that. Pretend it's a little, this is, the, this is what I've heard. Pretend it's a little bird. You don't want to kill it, and you don't want it to fly away. You want it gently in your hands. I'm sorry, I'm going to kill this bird. I, I'm going, and you can go for it. So for myself, I'm learning gentle, just gentle. And not only just in my golf game, but in my personal life. This is something too that the, you know, the Lord has been imprinting on my heart through my wife. What is it? It's, it's gentleness. This is a major part of Christianity that we find it's weak, that we look at and go, man, you're just a pushover. You're just, you're, you're a sissy man. No, when I see God being kind and merciful, being gentle, it's powerful because he's intentional about it. I'm going to show you something. This, is, well, this will rock your world. And I want to give you another thing. Is that not only is he strong and mighty, God is tender. He's not sensitive, but he's tender. God is kind. And I, man, hearing Kyla's story this morning moved me, just thinking about these verses that I was going to be sharing. Because God, Matthew chapter 8, verse or sorry, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, in this Ben Campbell Johnson's paraphrase. I encourage you, if you have an opportunity, Google that. It comes in Bible form. It's, it's powerful. But in that paraphrase, he actually lays out and he says, I am willing, Jesus speaking, I am willing to relate to you and let you learn at your own rate. He's tender. He's not a forceful, you better get this. You've got to understand this. He is tender. And I love that about our Father. That's who He is. Aren't you thankful that He deals with you tenderly? 
Not just, what's wrong with you? Why can't you figure this out? He doesn't just sit there and start whooping you. He deals with you gently and tenderly. Why? Because he loves you and that's how he lures you in. Anything that's forceful, either it's of the enemy or it's just straight up religion. So if you're feeling anything going, oh, I, got, I got to figure this out. Listen, I, I'm, I'm there quite often. For my, my kind of person and who I am, I like to be, man, Joel, you got to have this by now. Let's get going. I'm noticing that ain't God pushing that off on me. Man, I had to get my wife this past week even calm down. Like I get so into this. I got to know this. I got to dive deeper. I got to spend more time. I got to get all. That's the wrong motive. And I go into prayer and it's dry after three hours going, what's wrong? Me. I'm coming at it wrong. He's kind. and He's gentle. This is first to be seen rather than the harsh dominating judgment hammer. Okay. But fine, I want this, and I want you to see it from God, because what we see from Him, He tells us now to show it to others. We do not throw hammers down first. We first show tenderness. Because then what? You win people over. Including your wife, including your husband, including your children. Man, the dropping the hammer does... Listen, I'll tell you this from a parenting perspective. Dropping the hammer on my son does not work. What hap- you know what happens right after I drop the hammer? He throws another one at me. And then I take a bigger one. I try throwing it right back at him. And you know what happens? Division. And it's not that he's going to take over anything. Oh, no, 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 no. There's none of that going on. But what it is, I'm allowing him, I'm giving him a safe place to learn and make mistakes. Hello, somebody. This is how we're supposed to live because this is how God is to us. Did you screw up this past week? Oh, yeah, I did. But guess what? God is tender. He gives you room to work it out. And I love that about him because he's tender and he's kind towards us. Okay, so first, Moses. Moses saw mercy. He saw it. Now, I think this is amazing. The first guy that we see from the Bible that actually came face to face and experienced mercy, this, this, what Moses saw carried into the Old Testament throughout the whole Old Testament, that God is merciful. And I want you to see this in Exodus chapter 33. Verse 18 and 19, this is right after Moses, he has this experience with God and they're about to cross over into the promised land. And God says, I'm done with these people. I'm gonna, Moses, I'm gonna send an angel to go with you. And Moses' heart just, man, God, no. Lord, I'm not leaving unless you personally go with us into that, that land that you promised us. Can you see his heart? Not, I don't want just the promises. God, I want you. Cause if I don't have you, that land means nothing to me. So, finally, God says, okay, Moses, I will go with you. I, will, I won't leave you. I'll never forsake you. And then Moses makes these amazing words. And I just, I love Exodus 33. He says, Lord, your presence is the distinguishing mark between us and our people amongst all other people. What's the difference between us as a nation compared to everybody else? We have the presence. Hello, somebody. What separates you at your job is you are a carrier of the presence. The presence changes everything. Not only is it outside you, but more importantly, it's on the inside of you waiting to get out. You can carry heaven wherever you go. Why? Because the Spirit of God is on the inside of you. So anyways, Moses responded after God said, okay, I'll go with you. I won't leave you. Moses cried out, show me, other translations say, your glory. God, show me your glory. Anybody else would want to say that? God, show me your glory. I want to see it. What is it? Look at the next verse, verse 19. The Lord replied, what does he say? I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will call you out by name, or sorry, I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. Now go to Exodus 34, 6 through 7. This is right now, God is passing by. The Lord passed in front of Moses, and this is what God said about himself. So I don't care what anybody says about God. Unless God is saying it about him, I'm going to go with this. So this is why I have those guys that say turn or burn burn signs. Why I know what's wrong? Because this is what God wants seen first. Are you ready? Because they're coming at it from an Old Testament perspective. Okay, ready? Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am what? Slow to anger. And filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. <laughs> Quick. This is who he is. 
Can you go to verse 8? Oh, that's it, sorry. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse, excuse the guilty. So here's the other side of it. Now we see the mercy side of God. Now you see the secondary part that he brings on. He is just. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. God does not let sin go unhindered or untouched. Sin is absolutely wrong. Right? We, we all got that. But the first thing that God says about himself is, I am a God who is tender, who is compassionate, slow to get angry, and a God of mercy. So this is who he is. So Moses saw this, which lasted the Israel, the Israel, Israel as a nation through the next generations and all the way to the New Testament. David now fell on mercy. I love David because now he tapped into something. He heard it. I mean, he heard it as a kid growing up because Moses saw it. And so he proclaimed it. This is who God is. He's a God of mercy. Now I want you to look at this in Psalm chapter 51. Now we all know what David did. Remember what he did to Uriah? Right? He, uh, he got him killed so that he could get, get his wife Bathsheba. Remember David saw, saw Bathsheba showering on the rooftop? What kind of woman does that? That's a problem right off the bat. Okay, she's showering on the rooftop. David saw that and went, Woo, son! Got her pregnant, right? All of a sudden he finds out she's pregnant. Now he's like, oh man, what do I do? So he now goes and kills one of his greatest men in order to hide his whole secret. God, guess who, guess who knows everything in secret? God. God came through the prophet of Nathan and said, this is, and talked to him about sheep and taking all a bunch of things. David, you are that wicked man. And man, all of a sudden, what happened? Now we see this is David's cry out for mercy. God, I messed this thing up big time. So we see David, have mercy on me. Notice, just notice the words, God, I, I screwed this whole thing up. I, I killed a man. I've, I've hurt my family. I've hurt Bathsheba. And the result is now that baby died in her womb because of his sin. God, have mercy on me because of your unfailing love. David knew something greater than just judgment. What did he know? He knew and could tap into the mercy of God. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Why? Because of His mercy. God, I know that You are a merciful God. Then we see a little bit later on, 2 Samuel chapter 24, we see David made a mistake, right, regarding a census. And I'll just give you the last little part. And God says, well, I'll give you three scenarios because you didn't listen, didn't do this, right? You could either have this, this, or that. And it's all bad, right? They're all bad things because of result of sin. I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad, but let us fall into the hands of the Lord. Why? Let us fall into the hands of mercy. Why? Because, man, God, God is merciful. This is who he is. Rather than don't let me fall into the hands of men. David knew where to fall. When you mess up, when you things don't go the way that they ought to be going, when all of a sudden somebody else makes a stupid mistake, where can you run? Do you know where to fall? You fall at the mercy of God. Oh, God, I messed this whole thing up. Man, don't just wallow in it. Fall into the mercy of God. Just get right on in there. Why? Because His mercy is great. And the Bible says it's new every morning. New. And I'm not going to get into this one just for time's sake. But Jeremiah, he actually wept for the mercy of God in a time where there was no hope in the nation of Israel. Man, at the point, women were actually eating their kids in order to stay alive. Israel had nothing. The only thing that kept them going was the mercy of God. And I'm going to read that verse to you a little bit later on here. But I want you to see this is now who our God is. He is a God of mercy towards you this morning. He's not angry with you. Another one, let me just say this to you. You owe God nothing. I'll show you that in a little bit. But let me just give you some of these verses. I'm going to read them quick. This is who our God is. Psalm 86, 15. It says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Psalm 89, 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, but mercy and truth go before your face. Psalm 145, 8 and 9, it says, you're kind and tender-hearted to those who don't deserve it. Hello, somebody. Anybody in that room, anybody here at one point didn't deserve it. God, you're kind, you're merciful and tender-hearted to those who don't deserve it and very patient with people who fail you. This is who he is. Do you see God like that this morning? 
Maybe you've had a rough week. But do you see him this morning? Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. Verse 9 says, God, everyone sees your goodness, for your tender love is blended into everything you do. This is what he is. Now, let me just, this is the verse, Lamentations 3. We know this verse to be popular, but if you read it in context, this is when Israel was in complete hell. Everything was gone. The nation was gone. city was gone. It was in complete ruins. We just thought Jeremiah was just a crybaby crying all the time with a weeping prophet. It's because he lived through the most horrific time for the nation of Israel to even exist. Yet he penned these words when he got a glimpse of the mercy of God. He said this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Meanwhile, city is gone. My home's gone. My culture's gone. Everything is gone. He says, yet the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Then go on, click. His great is His faithfulness. That's not just a song we sing. And this comes out of deep ruin and what He's seeing around Him. He says, His mercies begin afresh each morning. Every morning I wake up, guess what? His mercy, His deliverance from judgment is fresh again. Brand new every morning. You may have messed up yesterday. Well, guess what? You don't remember that? You repented of it and let go of it? Guess what? He's got mercy towards you again today. Ah, That's a good place to be. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever. Verse, next verse. Because he delights in... What does God delight in? Come on, he delights in this. Aren't you thankful? What does it mean to get delighted in something? I mean, you get overjoyed. You're thrilled. God, it says right here, you delight in mercy. God delights in showing mercy. So if you think, oh man, this is a result because I did this, that, or the other. No, 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 you got God all wrong. He delights in mercy. This is who He is. Come on, this is what this platform here, this is what the church is here for, is to declare and reveal the mercy of our God. Yeah, you may have sinned. Yes, you may have screwed up. Yes, you may have a horrible past. But His mercy is new every single day. Don't let what you did stop you from going to a merciful God. This is who He is. And when you run to Him, He's not going to stand there and go, about time you showed up, you loser. I got a few things to discuss with you. No, it's mercy. Every time I've been corrected by God, yes, it, it hurts so good, but I always met His mercy first. I'm changed to what I am today because of His mercy. I never want to forget what He's done for me, and at the same time, now that I've seen it, I can now reveal it. Go to the next verse, verse 19. It says, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. He wants nothing of it anymore. Why? Because he's merciful. This is who he is. So this is what I do. When I spend time with God, I don't want to just spend time with, oh, I'm going to study this subject. God, I want to see your heart. Now, I talked to you about Moses. I talked to you about David. Now, when Jesus came, who was he? He was the Word made flesh. He is the perfect image of the invisible God made manifest. And I want to show you this quick story. I don't have it on the screen, but turn to Mark chapter uh, 5. This is, to me, one of the most amazing stories that you could say or scripture passages that we could read because this reveals the mercy of God towards an individual who at some point everybody must have forgotten about, nobody cared about anymore, just want nothing to do with him. But in, uh, before we read this, Mark uh, chapter 4, Jesus was, you know, he gave a whole sermon, talked about the parable of the seed and the importance of the word and what you're hearing and man, it's powerful. Then he tells his disciple, we're going to cross to the other side. We're going to go to this island. Right? And a lot of times, you heard a lot of messages out of that, right? Whatever God tells you, you're not going to sink. You're going to go to the other side because he told you. That's all great. Now, I, I just took a little backstory for a sec. Why did he have to cross to the other side? Because remember, he only does what he sees his father do. He only says what he hears his father say. He said to his disciples, after he just ministered to thousands of people, he said, we have to go to the other side. Okay, now I want you to see this. Now, why is he going? 
And at the same time, while he's on there, a huge storm erupts, tries to take over, tries to kill Jesus and his disciples in that boat. That's what the storm is there for. So now I want you to think about all the you know, disciples got their pails and they're shoving water out of the boat trying to keep this thing. Master, don't you care that we're, we're sinking? What's wrong with you? Get up. Jesus went all through all of that. Jesus, yes, is the son of man, but also the son of God, made up his mind. We are crossing and going to the other side. Why? Because there's somebody there. And maybe you're that somebody this morning. Man, Jesus is willing to do whatever it takes to get to you. Why? To demonstrate mercy. And I want to show you this guy. Mark chapter 5. Oh, in verse 1. I'm going to pick it up right from there. Okay. It says, So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Whatever that says. Sorry about that. Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, now I want you to notice, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. Out of the what? Where is this guy living? The cemetery, the graveyard. He's hanging out with dead folk. Cemetery, this is where he's living. Verse 3, this man lived among the burial caves and can no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as often as he was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough even to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones." Now, in culture today, you, if you were happen to run across, and man, I've seen some pretty crazy people. I've actually been attacked by someone demon-possessed. And what's your first instinct? I want, man, this guy's just nuts, man. Like, what's wrong? He's, he's out of his mind. There's something wrong with him. And I, before you kind of just go out, this guy's got issues. I don't got issues. We all hang around graveyards in some area in our lives. We're all running to something, going, oh, man, this just ain't working. This is... Uh. Things, things aren't going too well in my life in this area. Well, regardless of what it is, you are chained and shackled by something in life. Anybody, come on, I'm in that same boat. And a lot of times we kind of just go, oh, well, this, this guy's just nuts. Like, I mean, cutting himself with stones? Like, the guy's cuckoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what are some chains that are holding you back from totally experiencing the goodness of God? I don't want to talk about that. They couldn't even listen. They would try to constrain him. They'd try to tie him all up. And the moment they would come, boom, he would just break out of it and he'd start howling and screaming again. Society today will look at and go, there's nothing we can do for him. Leave him in the loony bin. Put him away. Put him away. We don't want him to be around society. We can't have him around. Right? He's a ruckus. He's causing problems. And nobody can handle this guy. Yet Jesus went on purpose to see this one guy. He went there for him. Oh, man. Go verse 6. <clears throat> when Jesus saw, or sorry, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. And you know what Legion means? 6,000 soldiers. So there's a lot of demons in this guy. 6,000. My name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Now you think people would be like, yeah, like this guy's delivered, this guy got completely set free. But in fact, we see the complete opposite. Because what society was valuing and interested in was the pigs. They were, yeah. Bacon. <laughs> That's where their mindset is at. Man, look at, they, because at that time, if you do some little research, that area was known for pig farming. 
2,000 pigs go, that's roughly $250,000 modern day cash going down the side of the hill. So what did these guys do? They ran into the town, told everybody what Jesus did. And so we'll pick it up there. Go verse, well, verse 14, I might as well read it to you. The herdsmen fled in the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting now fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Verse 16, those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Why? Because they had no value for this man. We care, we care less about this guy. He was just a demon-possessed, shrieking and cutting himself off. So what did they do? Because they valued the pigs. They put more value on the pigs than the presence of God. What happens? A lot of times what you value will show up. I don't got time for Jesus. Go, go away, Jesus. I, I don't, go away. Why, you, just, you lost 2,000 pigs. So you see the, peop, the value that people have. And where's this guy sitting here going, Hey, no more cutting, no more shrieking. I'm fully clothed. What? And they told Jesus, get away from here. We don't want nothing to do with you. So I want you to see what society is like in the sense, okay, get out. Just, I'm glad you've got some clothes on, but man, we don't get. The value of what Jesus puts on one human being is crucial. And then uh, Jesus went going into the boat. And now notice what the man says. The man who had be, be demon-possessed begged to go with him. Okay, can, can, I, can I come with you? These people, they don't want anything to do with me. You know what, I, I, Jesus, I, you know what, oh, oh, why don't, I see that Judas guy, you know, devils no devils. <laughs> why don't I be the treasure? I could be a better treasure than him. He begged them to stay, and now notice what Jesus says. This is for another message, but Jesus said to them, no, go home in your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been to you. Your testimony, no matter what has been done in your life, is a result or a testimony, a story of God's mercy that has been shown in your life. So what do we do? This guy, if you think about it, he went from a lunatic to a missionary. Why? Because he met mercy. That's what it do to your life. You could come from drug addiction, sex addictions, man, any kind of addiction. It could be anything. You could come out of that and you could be the next missionary to your family. You could be the first. This guy was the first for his family. What, did it, what happened to him? How could he come in? How did he become the first in it? He was introduced to the mercy of God. Mercy himself stood before him and cast out those demons. I want you to see this is who he is. Man, he looked at this man. I'm coming for you. And this this just warms my heart. This is who our God is. I'm coming after you. He he doesn't want anything holding you and I back. He doesn't want anything just taking us away that is unhealthy or unfrom the scriptures. God wants you in the fullness of what he created you for. This is willing to fight for you. That's our God. He is mercy. And just to close this thing up, 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at this real quickly. His love is strong. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that you have been born again because God raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Now we live with His great expectation. He goes in the next verse. But He starts, again. why are we born again? Because of what? His great mercy for us. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read this real quick to you. I want you to see, and the fullness fills you, even though you were once like corpse, corpses, dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and failures of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children, subject to God's wrath like everyone else. But God still loved us with such great love. Now notice this next verse. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. 
Now that's not just enough. He had to do something about it. Because he's so rich, because he's full of it, because he can't help himself, he did, verse 5, even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Now notice verse 6, he didn't just stop there. Then he says he raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. What does mercy do? Mercy takes out of lunatic and it brings you right to where he's at. That's the kindness of God. It reaches out, it draws in, and he lifts up. This guy, the, the gentleman that we were just reading that was demon-possessed, the first one in his family, he was the first missionary to the Gentiles. He's the first guy that talked about Jesus to the Gentiles. What? And we thought Paul did all the work. Yeah, Paul did all that. But before that, Jesus, his mercy, he reached this guy. This guy became a vessel, became a mouthpiece of the mercy of God for, our, for, for the country right side that he's in. The same thing is true for you and I. What have you fell on lately? What have you been seeing lately? If you're going through something tough, it's not time for you to, okay, I'm going to buckle in, I'm going to hold on to this. Let the mercy of God take over. There's even times when I'm, you know, just Jamie and I working um, with our son, just dealing with some issues health-wise with him. God is faithful to his word. There's been times when we have to be at the hospital and say, God, I, I'm trusting in your mercy. Your mercy. Yeah, I'm holding on to what I believe. I'm holding on to what you said in your word. But God, you are full of mercy. I need help. So don't be too cool for school and can't say help. Everybody needs help. No matter if you're as far as this lunatic or if you may just not even be that far yet. Wherever you're at, the best thing you can do is cry out for mercy. Because let me show you this last verse. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Now I want you down, when you read your Bible, I want you to see how many times you see mercy pop up. It's everywhere. Why? Because it's who he is. For the word of God is alive. No, uh, sorry, is that the right verse? Sorry, I think I gave you guys the wrong verse. 16, yeah. You guys got verse 16? Thank you, Gil. Hebrews 4, 16. It says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We read it to you that again. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Why can I come boldly? But I messed up and I did this and I have all these mistakes. You come boldly to who? Our judgmental God? No, then you can't come in boldly. Oh man, I'm not worthy of it. You come boldly because of his grace, his kindness towards you. You come boldly. And then he says, so that we may obtain, or we will receive his mercy. That's when mercy is received. But first you got to go. Some of you are just too proud. I don't need any of this. Guess what? Mercy can't get to you then. It's not mercy's holding back. Mercy's reaching out. I'm trying to reach you. I'm trying to get across that lake to you. Let me get to you. He'll cross over anything. Jesus doesn't stop until he finds the last sheep. He goes after it. He doesn't stop. This is what's wonderful about our God. He doesn't know when to quit. He doesn't know the answer no. no I don't want you, God. He doesn't mean that he just goes, okay, well, whatever. He is still pursuing you, but give him something to work with. So on. Oh, I don't want to do this. I, I've heard all that before. I don't want any part of that. He can't get to you. His mercy's stuck right there. Let mercy, because this is what he does best. He's so good at showing mercy. Let him show it. He'll do it only the way that he can do it. And it'll reach you exactly where you're at. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from other people. God will show you how to reach you. He knows how. Hey, thanks for listening. If you live in the central Alberta region of Canada, we would love to have you come out and check out one of our weekend messages. For more info on all of our directions, service times, and children's programs, visit our website at impactlife.ca. That's impactlife.ca.